1: This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars for is
3: This is the best of OutKick, the coverage with Clay
0: Travis on Fox Sports Radio.
3: College basketball, I'm paying attention to all the uh, results rolling in, and it just confirmed what I already believed, which is we are headed for an unbelievable conclusion to the college basketball season, not just on the court, and let me explain, but first, last night, Wisconsin beats Purdue. Purdue was kind of dangling around there as a potential number one seed. Cincinnati, definitely a two seed probably at a minimum, loses to Houston, who's a pretty good team. And then Penn State blows out Ohio State, who has been a big surprise as one of the top contenders in the Big Ten. And so you start to look at all three of those games. And by the way, that's the number six, that's the number five, and that's the number eight team in college football, all losing to unranked opponents. And then you read the report from Yahoo Sports' uh, Pete Thamel, where he says basically, uh, it, there's some amazing lines in here, but he said, if the investigation into major college basketball gets unsealed, that maybe as many as half of the top 16 teams in the most recent NCAA seating would basically be ineligible because of uh, either paying players, because of the behavior of their coaches, because of insane NCAA violations. And if you're not familiar, this is the lawsuit, uh, the, the sorry, the, the criminal case that grabbed up a bunch of different teams in kind of the preseason. And then there hasn't been a lot of discussion about it since. And uh, it, it dealt with essentially players being paid to come to schools to play basketball. And at the time, I came on and I told you this, and I've been saying it for a long time. I think that the top players in college basketball are just about all getting paid, Uh, especially the one-and-done guys, because what you have created is a black market. Um, and, And what I mean by that is, you have all of these top college basketball players who have a clear economic value, and they're required to go to college for one year And then they're able to unlock that economic value and become insanely valuable as members of the NBA. And so does it make sense that these guys who have to be basically, and I'm putting it in quotation mark, unpaid for a year would in fact be worthy of getting substantial amounts of money for that one year? This is why, by the way, I am in favor of 18-year-olds being able to go straight to the NBA. I think LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady – All of those guys, Kevin uh, Garnett, all those guys who went straight to the league, Amari Stoudemire at 18 and turned into all pro caliber players, prove that you can go straight from college, from high school to the NBA. And so as a result, when you disallow that, what you end up doing is creating a substantial black market because we know who the best players are in college basketball. And I think wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we pretend that these guys are making decisions based on who's the better recruiter, I think the reality is the tennis the tennis shoe companies, the sneaker companies, are definitely at a young age because they want to be connected to them when they're 19 years old. It's not like these guys suddenly find themselves at 19 years old, oh my god, this guy turned out to be a good basketball player. In basketball, you know at 15 and 16 and 17 easily who the best players are likely to be. Sometimes they're diamonds in the rough, but relatively speaking, that's rare. So in addition to the fact that this year's NCAA tournament is wide open in terms of who are the better teams, right now, guys, the, the favorite to win the overall uh, men's championship in the NCAA tournament is Michigan State at 5-1. to one. Michigan State is under siege, not just potentially from this FBI investigation into whether or not they paid players, but also to all of the improprieties that are happening on campus as a result fair or not of the Larry Nasser trial that has spilled over into men's basketball and to football. Duke Pete Thamel specifically says that there are hall of fame basketball coaches that he would he would suggest should consider jumping to the NBA before all of these details come out, which is flat out unbelievable. Uh, Villanova, who has lost a couple of games here recently, at five to one. Purdue at eight to one, who just lost on the road uh, to a mediocre Wisconsin team. Virginia at six to one. I don't think there are that many people, including Virginia fans, who actually feel that confident. And those are the favorites. Everybody else is twenty to one or more. I think, guys, there's 25 or 30 teams this year in college basketball who could find a way to win a championship. And I don't feel very confident about what could happen at all. A lot of times you hear, oh, you know, this, this tournament is wide open, and there's like four or five teams that could actually win it. I think this thing is legitimately wide open at this point, not just because of the fact that there isn't much that separates the top teams from the middle-tier teams, but also because so many of these teams potentially – could be facing effectively Armageddon as we figure out what's going to happen with this FBI investigation, which evidently is going to implicate many of the top programs and many of the top coaches and many of the top players in this pay-for-play scandal. Now, there was a, a question when this story happened. I said, man, I don't know that I need the FBI to be involved in all of these investigations i don't know that i care if players are being paid i'm not sure other than tax evasion i'm not sure that this is an example where i want our federal dollars spending a ton of time investigating somebody but to me if all these wiretaps are going on and if they've got all these hall of fame coaches who have been involved with the recruitment of top players, talking with the shoe companies and figuring out exactly how much money the shoe companies are going to give them, this is potentially Armageddon for the college basketball universe. And I think a lot of us out there are going to have to say, first of all, let's stop talking about whether or not players should be paid for college basketball because the top players are being paid. This is one of these funny things. People sit around and they say, oh, we got to pay these athletes. Well, hold up. They're being paid. We know a lot of these five stars are getting six figures or more to come play uh, college basketball. The next step becomes, why do we care? I mean, I think that's the question that a lot of people are going to be asked, aside from the fact that all of college basketball is a sham. You know, that basically, when you require a guy to come to campus for six months, effectively, you get to campus in August You stay uh, until whatever the math is on that. You stay till right after your team gets eliminated from the NCAA tournament. And then, effectively, you go on and go to the NBA. I think the question becomes, what kind of illusion were we buying into to begin with? You know that you're not a student athlete when you come to campus for less than a year. You're just buying time there until you're eligible to be drafted into the NBA. And if you're being paid while you're there, which most of the top players are... Effectively, your school is running a minor league basketball t- uh, camp. And then, if all these coaches are on the phone with all the sneaker representatives, whether it's Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, uh, whoever the, the sneaker, Reebok, whoever the companies are out there, I think that there are a lot of major, major issues associated with college basketball. The first thing I would say is I favor shining a bright light on this and saying, hey, Let's go ahead and clean up college basketball in this sense. Let's stop pretending that you have good guys and bad guys. I think I I have stopped believing in this a long time ago. This illusion that some coaches are, quote, doing it the right way, and other coaches are vagabonds who are cheating their asses off. I think, by and large, there are some coaches who cheat their asses off, Um, and uh, I think many of those coaches are going to be named, but I think everybody is a little bit guilty because NCAA rules on amateurism are such jokes. So my suggestion would be a couple of things. How do you clean up college basketball? As we come careening into March Madness, the worst possible outcome for the NCAA is all of these documents under seal suddenly become readily available and we can read about Hall of Fame coaches negotiating payments for players. One, I think that everybody out there needs to ask themselves this question. Why do you care if top athletes in college are being paid? I think this is a fundamental question that I used to care about. This is an example of where my opinion has changed. My enjoyment of a college basketball or college football game is not implicated by a college athlete receiving money under the table to play or living in a better apartment or having a better car to drive. None of those things are their family getting money when the family has no money. None of those things implicate my ability to enjoy college basketball or college football. Um, So that's number one. I think that's an interesting question. Why do you care? Why does amateurism matter on this level to you? Why does it impact your enjoyment of a college basketball game, let's say the NCAA tournament, if you find out that a guy's driving a car because somebody paid him uh, extra money for that car? Like, why does that matter to you? Or if he's got a nicer apartment, or if he's got better, whatever, clothes, better meals, better better lifestyle than he otherwise would, he could have that same lifestyle if his dad happened to be rich or his mom happened to be rich. Why do you care about it now? It's an interesting question. Two, how's the NCAA going to reconcile this? Because it's one thing when one program gets in trouble and the NCAA can come around and say, oh, this is unacceptable, you can't do that, and they levy a punishment. And they like to pretend, let's say an Ole Miss, they like to pretend that Ole Miss is far and away worse than everybody else when it comes to football recruiting. And people can buy that illusion. And three, how do you reconcile a Hall of Fame coach's entire history if they're doing ultimately the same thing that everybody else is doing. I, I think it raises so many intriguing questions. I think college football right now is like a runaway train going down the side of a hill that the brakes aren't working anymore on that train. Because I think if these things go public in the uh, in the FBI investigation, there's a line in the Pete Thamel Yahoo article, and we're going to talk, by the way, with one of Thamel's colleagues uh Dan Wetzel, a Yahoo Sports national columnist who's been plugged in on this story too. He's actually going to join us from South Korea uh, where he's covering the Winter Olympics. We'll talk about this with him. But I think if this story goes public, the article that conclude the, the line that concludes the story for Pete Thamel is you could see, if all this went public, you could see UT Chattanooga getting a two seed. In other words, the number of programs that would be ineligible because of payments to players and what their coaches have done would be legion. Well over half of the NCAA tournament field would be caught up in a systemic pay-for-play scandal that has the possibility of rocking college basketball all the way to its foundations. I think this is an amazing story. I don't believe it's gotten as much attention since those initial indictments were filed, but man, if this FBI info goes public... These, these audio recordings of coaches and their transcripts of what they knew and how they were negotiating for players. The word is on the street that the agents and the shoe companies who were caught up in this investigation are just the tip of the iceberg that you could literally have found the entire college basketball universe guilty of this, and that if you were a head basketball coach right now, uh, many people have no idea how you're sleeping at night. I mean, think about the stress that would be under these guys if you know you've been behaving in a way that's outside the bounds of NCAA rules, and everybody's been doing it, and everybody's kind of been laughing at the sham that is the NCAA rules, and now some of the top programs, coaches, and players could all be rolled up into this mess. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. This to me is an analogy of steroids in baseball. Let me explain why I think this college basketball scandal could be like steroids in baseball. In steroids in baseball, I didn't care that grown adults were deciding to turn their bodies into cartoon characters and that as a result, they were able to hit more home runs. I didn't care about Barry Bonds. I didn't care about uh, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, all these different guys who had clearly, Roger Clemens, I believe, used steroids. And the reason why I didn't care, by and large, was because I felt like it was systemic to the overall sport. In other words, people say, oh, you can't trust Barry Bonds' home run totals. Well, he was hitting against guys who were also on steroids. But I do think that if you are a guy like Ken Griffey Jr., who I think it's probably fair to say never took an illegal substance in his life, he was playing by the rules and everybody else was cheating. And in retrospect, I think a guy like Ken Griffey Jr. is overlooked because he wasn't doing what everybody else was doing. So the only way I would care in the world of college athletics about players getting paid is if there are some coaches out there that have been playing completely under the letter of the rule laws of the NCAA, and we haven't known that, and they've been basically, it's like trying to tread water or swim with a 100-pound weight on their back. They are playing by a different set of rules than everybody else. To me, just like baseball, ended up getting blown up and everybody said, man, this goes to the very fabric of the game. Everything was rotten for about 15 years. I think college basketball has been rotten for decades. I think everybody has been paying players. If you think that guys getting paid now has just started, think about how much easier it was to pay guys in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s when social media didn't exist, when people couldn't take a picture of, of a kid getting into a high end car when you didn't know necessarily where somebody l- lived by checking their address when you didn't have the ability to t- you know like keep track of credit cards and debit cards and everything else as easily so i that that to me is why i would say what college basketball is about to face is a big era much like steroids in baseball where everybody goes back and says okay what do we do here I think that becomes the next question. 877-996-6369. I think, again, it's not just that this cheating was going on. It's that much like in baseball, it's going to impact the Hall of Famers. I think it's the John Calipari's. We already know it's the Rick Pitino's. Like This has been my argument when Rick Pitino happened. All the Kentucky fans are like, Oh, see, I've told you Louisville's dirty forever. And my question for the Kentucky fans would be this. Do you really think that Rick Pitino at Louisville was doing things that John Calipari at Kentucky was not doing? Is that an argument that you really want to make, that your former Hall of Fame coach and Rick Pitino, who went to the NBA and didn't have great success and came back to college basketball, is doing something different than what John Calipari was doing at Memphis and UMass and Kentucky? And frankly... If you are going to make that argument, I think that you are incredibly naive and insanely biased. And that's why when this story happened, I came out and I said, you know, I wouldn't be celebrating if I were a college basketball fan. Because I think as much joy as you might take in hating Louisville and Rick Pitino's collapse, or as much as you may dislike all these other schools that were rolled up in this investigation – I think you shouldn't point and enjoy that misery from another program because I think your program is likely to be involved in a similar fashion. What is cool? If you think Adidas was doing things for Louisville, do you really think Nike wasn't doing things for Kentucky? Do you really think that when it comes to recruiting five-star guys, that at the last minute when you get a recruit that somebody else wanted, that somehow you were clean and And they weren't, I think college basketball is an intensely corrupt system. And I think the reason why it's corrupt in particular is because you know who the best players are and because you're artificially constraining their ability to make a living. Let me explain. The black market exists for what reason? Because there's demand that's not legally able to be satisfied. So why do drugs exist in this country? We can spend a lot of time trying to interdict their entry into the United States. We can spend a lot of time trying to blow up and destroy all these cocaine farms all over Latin American countries where we create all these drugs. The truth of the matter is this. Drugs are in our country because there is a demand for drugs. And markets are incredibly good in capitalistic societies, despite what the law is, of satisfying the demand for drugs. Product. There is a substantial demand for cocaine in this country. That is why there is cocaine in this country. That's the reason. There is a substantial demand for marijuana in this country. That is why there is substantial amounts of pot on the street in this country because people want those products and they exist. Now, I would make a difference between, let's say, a cocaine and a marijuana, which I think are drugs that you can use and not completely fall apart and let's say heroin, right? Like, I don't want heroin easily available on the streets because the first time somebody uses it, they might die, right? There's a major issue with opioids in this country, all different sorts of drugs. There's probably a good chance that if you're listening to me right now, you have a friend or family member that has been impacted in some way by the drug trade. I understand it. I'm using the drug trade as an example for college basketball because much like the demand for drugs in this country – there is a demand in college basketball for the best possible players. And unlike, let's say, in college football, where it's a little bit uncertain and five-star guys can go become busts because it's hard to assess relative talents, by and large, by the time they are seniors, certainly, in high school basketball, we know who the best players are in the country. The guys that would go out when they graduate from high school and be high round draft picks. People say, oh, there's a lot of swings and misses when 18-year-olds went straight to the NBA. My response is, isn't it more amazing how often these guys got it completely right? LeBron James and Kobe Bryant are the two best players of their respective eras, if you want to define the era as relatively short-speaking. LeBron James went straight to the NBA. Kobe Bryant went straight to the NBA. Their talent was so luminescent that that everybody out there who is in the world of basketball knew how good they were. Again, Tracy McGrady, Kevin Garnett, Amari Stoudemire, you can run through a long litany of players that went straight from high school to the NBA and became not just good, but great, and maybe the best players of their generation of basketball. So this idea that we need to protect 18-year-olds from going straight to the NBA is frankly just not true. Because if you look at, say, what Kobe Bryant and LeBron James did, they were transcendent players, fought two of the maybe five or six greatest, I think it's fair to say, certainly two of the top ten greatest of all time. And that's even though they went straight from high school to the NBA. And by the way, this happens all the time in virtually every other sport. Nobody cares about it, right? I don't hear a lot of people saying, oh my God, how in the world do we let this golfer go pro how in the world do we let this tennis player go pro how in the wor- what's going to happen with all these soccer players that are going straight from high school or earlier to the uh, to the nba or by the way how about all these young baseball players who are like 15 and 16 years old that are signing to go start playing minor league baseball in foreign countries the idea that we need to protect 18 year olds is i think absurd If you believe that, then you should not be able to get out of bed with the fact that we give 18-year-olds machine guns and tell them to walk around in foreign countries and get shot at. But for better or worse, when you are 18, you are an adult in this country. And if we allow guys to join the Marines and go get their ass kicked and potentially get killed, then I don't have an issue with allowing an 18-year-old to go straight to go play basketball for a living, even though some of those basketball players are not going to end up panning out and becoming successes in their respective sports. That happens. You're going to have some swings and misses. But the point on this is that what we do when we set up an age restriction in basketball is we artificially create a market where you have an 18-year-old who's worth millions of dollars, and instead of giving that 18-year-old millions of dollars, you require him to go into college. Then how ridiculous of us is it to pretend that we are surprised that that 18-year-old who in another era, i.e. when LeBron and Kobe were going straight to the league, would have been getting drafted in the first round and signing a multi-million dollar contract, that his family might get paid a couple of hundred thousand dollars or whatever in the interregnum between when he's playing college basketball and becomes a multi-million dollar pro athlete. We have created a black market in college basketball. Is it a surprise that that black market would then feed money to these players. And if that happens, why do we care? Why do you care if somebody's mom and dad get a better house and or a newer car or any of these assets that these guys are going to have as soon as they go pro? See, this goes to the, the problem of what I would call shamaturism, the idea that these guys should be amateurs when they're making the schools billions of dollars And the coach is millions of dollars. I mean, put yourself in this perspective. If you were a coach and you knew that everybody's paying for the best players, why would you not also be trying to pay for the best players? Would you feel like you were treating those kids unfairly if they got a couple hundred thousand dollars to play basketball for you for a year? Doesn't that seem like actually the moral thing to do to pay somebody for the service that they're going to put forward on your behalf? That's called capitalism. That's called paying for labor. We've created an artificial construct. I want to take your calls on this. I understand only in this context why the FBI is involved, because maybe there's some tax evasion going on. Should you have to pay taxes on this if you are receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash under the table? Maybe. Maybe your family, maybe you should have to report this income and pay taxes on it. Otherwise, I just don't care. I don't understand how this is a fraudulent system. I think you're trying to fight the market. And anytime I think you're trying to fight the market, I'm against fighting the market. In the same way that people may disagree with me, but in the same way I would legalize non-deadly drugs, I'm not going to fight the market there. I would legalize sports gambling everywhere. I'm not going to fight the market there. I would legalize prostitution. I'm not going to fight the market there. All of those things there is intensely a demand for, and I don't believe personally, based on my libertarian background, if you are gambling or if you are uh, using drugs that aren't likely to kill you uh, or for your own personal enjoyment or if you are paying for sex, by the way, yeah, we're all paying for sex somehow. <laughs> this idea that sex is or has ever been free is absurd for anybody out there who thinks about things from a market perspective. My position is I'd rather make these things legal and tax them and not have our police officers chasing around trying to stop them. I'd rather focus on legitimate crimes, not market forces that are virtually unbeatable. There's a reason why why these drug lords buy do you see where like every now and then they own submarines? Like they bring cocaine in on submarines now. They dig tunnels underneath the border to bring in drugs. It's because there's so much demand for that drug. It just doesn't make sense to me to try to stop it. I think again, I started off this uh this discussion pointing out that I think what college basketball is going to face is the steroids era that baseball faced. The difference being I don't know that these guys are cheating. They're just asking to be compensated in their sport. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Danny G, I believe you've been doing research. You're out in L.A., All-Star weekend coming to L.A. I think probably the best possible city to have the All-Star game. Maybe New York could make a claim. Maybe Vegas could make a claim. I don't think there are very many places where you can go and put on a big show. Weather, obviously, a lot better in L.A. this time of year than it is New York, which is why I'd give L.A. the nod. But there are a lot of big-time parties going on, not surprisingly, when a lot of celebrities are coming uh, head-to-head. I would imagine there's going to be intriguing crowds in all these parties.
0: Yeah, the alcohol is going to be flowing in Los Angeles for sure. Can we get some party music in the background? (laughs) All right, so, fellas, the first party... Before I even get to that, let me tell you the first thing on the list here. Lyft, it's hashtag fly whip. What do you guys think that might be?
3: I have no idea what you It's got to
0: be a dope ride. More than one car. All right, so if you're here in Los Angeles and you want to do Uber or Lyft, Lyft has this promotion where Friday and Saturday night you can get picked up by stylish or, or custom pimped out rides like a Lincoln Town Car, a '65 Chevy Impala, or a Rolls Royce Ghost.
3: Oh, that's actually a really cool idea. Yeah, I that mean, is, that's really smart. Is cool. Um, it's hashtag
0: is a, Fly Whip from Lyft.
3: Interesting. So I mean, it, it makes me think, like actually, and this may not be a business idea they need, but how cool would it be if you could bid on premium car pickups and/or premium drivers? You know, for a big weekend like going on right now, the car idea is great. But what if they had former NBA stars who for a couple of hours would drive you? You yeah, know, like so you could cool get more current stars. By, Brandon Wright would do that, I bet. <laughs> well, but I mean, you get <laughs> Brandon picked up. Be, I mean, Brandon
0: needs to put a seat back all the way, though, like he said yeah.
3: yesterday. <laughs> yeah, but if you, <laughs> bid, if you bid on them, that would be really kind of fascinating, like in live time. Like what yeah. would somebody pay to have Sha- Shaquille O'Neal pick him up to drive him from, I don't know, uh, somewhere in Santa Monica to uh, a party going on down near the Staples Center. Like, yeah, that's a, that would be that's pretty a, amazing. Yeah, it's a good it?
0: idea for a fundraiser for, for yeah, somebody's it would be very charity. Cool. All right, so you could do that, uh, and you'd be getting dropped off at the Sirac party. All right, who do you think might be hosting that? Throw that's up Diddy, man. Yeah, I'm sure Diddy will be there, but Rock Nation is hosting that. All right, then you can um, get dropped off at BET's man cave party. Um, then there's a, a party being hosted by Ruffles. No, they got in the game. Uh, Ruffles having a big party. Ruffles then,
3: are pretty awesome, by the is way. That a a Ruff Ruff party is that Ruffles or the chips?
0: <laughs> is, it, is it the potato chips?
3: It, yeah, it's the Ruffles brand. What an unbelievable uh, move. They're just like, you know, we're going to own the NBA All Star weekend and just give out so many packages of Ruffles. Make it rain. Make it rain <laughs> yeah. with cheddar and sour cream. The cheddar and sour cream yeah. is the best chip. On it sure now. is. I agree. There's Another, yeah.
0: an All Star party at Lucky Strike. And that, that's also Ciroc sponsored. It's called the Ciroc Takeover at LA Live. All right, and then a Mountain Dew Kickstart uh, party. Adidas is having a rappers party, um, starring Rick Pitino. Yeah, Snoop Dogg <laughs> is going to be in the house. Kendrick Lamar is going to be live nice. on stage. So a lot of people looking forward to that. Budweiser they are uh, throwing a big party. Kenny the Jet Smith is Always. having an NBA bash as usual. Then uh, a lot of folks here in L. A. are excited about Nipsey Hussle's new album, and he's throwing a private album release
3: party. I've never J- heard James Harden. Hold on, I've uh, never heard of Nipsey Hussle in what? my life. I've never heard. Admittedly, of him. I have not either, and I actually know hip hop. He is and a I popular.
0: He's a popular rapper in Los Angeles.
3: What percentage of our audience do you think knows Nipsey Hussle?
0: Uh, probably a lot of people think about good times right now. Twelve percent. Twelve percent. Oh, just the Your black audience. I don't contingent. even know.
3: I don't even know, like, I literally have never heard that name in my life. That could be a totally made-up person <laughs> that you just said. No, By the ni- way, I feel that way sometimes now when I put on the Grammys, and I'm like, I I have no idea who any of these people are. Like, right? I can't even keep up.
0: Okay, go to iTunes after the show, Clay, and type in Nipsey Hustle. All
3: right? Yes. Then right. Uh,
0: Levi's, I guess they took a page from Ruffles. They're getting in on the action. Levi's throwing a jam. Uh, and then uh, State Farm also having a Saturday night all-star party. Jack Daniels is having a party called Blame It on the Game.
3: (laughs) That's okay. I mean, this is an unbelievable amount of parties and and brands. Like, throwing. how do you keep up with all these?
0: Then after that, GQ is throwing an all-star celebration party. Grief.
3: Is this a White House Mm Correspondents Dinner? I want to go to the White House Correspondents Dinner, by the way, if anybody can get me in for that.
0: There's a greatest of all time party being thrown by James Harden.
3: It's a little bit early. Oh, for might want to, be to be look throwing. out. Might yeah. want to watch out. Partying with James Harden doesn't yeah, always end well. No kidding.
0: Uh, on Sunday, there's an NBA Legends brunch,
3: and that leads into a JBL Battle of the DJs party. Wasn't the truth that? What was the story? God, these are unbelievable amount of parties. But wasn't it true that Allen Iverson like didn't sleep during All Star Weekend one year? Wasn't there a huge story? Written I remember about that? hearing that. Yeah. Um, And basically just like, I mean, that is an amazing amount of parties to go to. Makes me think (laughs) that I should bet the under. Because you know a lot of these guys are going to be in L.A. going from one party to another, drinking, living it up, not sleeping. There's no way. What time is the game played? Oh, Sunday. uh, 5 p.m. (laughs) 5 5, p.m. 5 p.m. West Coast on Sunday. 5 p.m. West. Okay, so it's an an 8 Eastern tip. Correct. So the 2001 All-Star Game in D.C., Allen Iverson partied for 72 straight hours, didn't sleep, then went out and won the All-Star MVP award. I was at that. uh, I was in D.C. at the time. That's the only time I think I've been in the city when the All-Star game came to town, and that was a wild, wild scene. I mean, the number of women that travel to the NBA All-Star game weekend trying to pick up players is unlike anything I've ever seen before. Now, I don't know if... It was, you know, like the NBA, like the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, I don't feel like has a party atmosphere. The Pro Bowl, nobody travels to, and it's always like out in Honolulu and stuff like that. The NHL All-Star Weekend came to Nashville, and it was kind of a fun party. It was fun. But I didn't didn't get the sense that there were like tons of people who were traveling in for it. There was an absolute influx of people all over D.C. for that 2001 All-Star Game. And I just remember being blown away And I think the Washington Post wrote about it at the time, the number of women. Like, just women rolling in. It was like Super Bowl. You know how the Super Bowl, uh, every year when the Super Bowl happens, all the strippers come running? Eh, Maybe you don't know, but all this, if you don't know, if you're out there listening, everywhere where the Super Bowl takes place, strippers travel like crazy. Same thing, strippers for like NCAA tournament opening weekend in Vegas Like, you get on a flight and it's almost entirely filled with strippers because they know there's going to be guys with a lot of money to spend and it's like the women just follow the money. This thing for the NBA All-Star Game was unbelievable, the amount of rush that came in. And that makes sense for Allen Iverson, by the way, because he's from the Tidewater area, which is not that far from outside of D.C. So he probably had a large collection of people that he wanted to hang out with for the D.C. All-Star Game. But 72 straight hours of partying, I mean, I just can't even imagine... What that would be like, and then to go out and win the all star the the MVP on top of that, they talk about a different physical freak. I think Allen Iverson ties in well with our argument. Iverson was a guy who was a different level of talent, and remember he had like the the famous video that went viral and still is used all the time. The thing where he talks about complaining about his effort in practice. Um, I think he was so supremely talented that he didn't have to push himself in terms of. Like, can you imagine imagine if Allen Iverson had followed Tom Brady's regimen? Gone to bed every night at 8, never eaten tomatoes. Like, what could his career have been if he had totally maximized his physical gifts like a lot of other athletes do, but still rare. I think Allen Iverson was so supremely talented, nobody could stay in front of him that he didn't have to maximize his gifts in order to be great.
0: Oh, oh, oh.